Live from Beit Shemesh and broadcasted around the world, you are listening to the From Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Nahum Klegman. Interviews and advice from Jewish entrepreneurs from around the world. Listen, learn, be Masliach. Welcome to episode 37 of the From Entrepreneur. Thank you so much for joining us for another fantastic episode where we try to encourage you and try to teach you and, and hope that you can learn uh, from the advice that, that uh, the entrepreneurs we interview that we bring. I have an exciting guest with us today, Zisha Schnitzler, who is the CEO of The Clear Advantage. It's going to be, you know, I, I have recently met him and I've come to love him. It's going to, you know, he has a lot to share, a lot going on. So Zisha, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Yeah, thank you Nahum, for having me. So Zisha, just, uh, just to get things started, why don't you give us like a 30-second, 45-second overview of what is the Clear Advantage? The Clear Advantage is basically here to serve entrepreneurs that are already successful in the way that they already ex- succeeded with bringing their ideas into a business and making it work. But now when it comes to grow their business, the existing business is sort of bogging them down and the Clear Advantage is, is there to provide the clarity so they can move on and grow their business and uh, take on more projects aside of what they have already done. Beautiful. So basically, it's for, for people that already have a business. Um, and it happens a lot of times. People, they get into businesses, they're successful. But the question is, okay, now how do I grow this? How do we expand? And, and, and how do we uh, you know work on our success? So that's what you come in to do. You help, you, is it the coaching or is it more consulting? So basically, the... It is sort of everything. You know, I don't consider myself a coach. I look at it as a coach, as a person who can help a person change his habits and these kind of things. And uh, changing people is not really my strong point. And I actually try to stay away from it completely because there are people that are better than me. I don't try to do that. So the thing that I do is basically the just keeping the consistency and it it breaks down to three ways that it actually works it's either that i'm just there as a partner in the journey ceos are extremely alone they don't have really with whom them they have employees but they don't have in business someone with whom to speak to and discuss things and get their decision because we really know what we want to do it's just that we have so many different voices sort of in our head that we need to decide on what do we really want to do mm-hmm. and if you have another person with whom to discuss it someone that knows business and someone that you can rely on that yourself, you know he's not there with his own agenda but rather to make sure that your agenda happens so that's where i just help the person as a partner just make sure that he can keeps on growing in his journey rather than just wasting time and energy just sitting around and uh, not knowing what he wants to do. And the other thing is that a lot of entrepreneurs, I found that they open the business not really because they're great at being a business owner, at managing a business, but rather they're an entrepreneur, someone who knows how to do things that most other people say that it's impossible. But when it comes to managing their business, they get a little overwhelmed. It pulls them down when they think about, oh, now I'll have to deal with my employees to make sure that this happens. And I told them something last week, it still didn't happen. And it uh, brings them down sort of spiritually, you know, it brings them down their emotional selves. So it makes it harder on them to advance their business. So that's where I come in and I take care as an interim COO to help make sure that he can continue grow his business and do whatever is necessary without having the fear of uh, how will I keep my employees coming along with me. And so his employees are there to help him rather than 
be a weight on him. And the third thing is basically project management. If someone has a full schedule, he has a full calendar, but he has this great idea that he wants to add to his business, his team is full, everything is established, but they don't have time to start, you know, and usually what happens is you start, then a problem comes up in the existing business, you stop, three months later you remember again, and you stay by wanting, you know, and that never happens. So I'm just there right. to make sure that it happens. We usually hire outside help to make, because his resources in the business are usually strained already. So we do whatever is necessary, so that he gets, uh, that he accomplishes whatever he wants to accomplish in business. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, we're going to dig into this a little bit deeper uh, a little bit later in the show, but I want to hear a little bit more about you. What's your story? Where where'd you, where were you born? Where did you grow up? What schools you went to? Where do you live now? All that, all that great stuff. So. Okay, so... I actually had an interesting uh, schooling. It was an interesting thing by me. So I grew up in Muncie. I was born in Muncie, whatever, in Suffern, close to Muncie. Right. And I grew up in Muncie. And actually, my father was a South mm. And uh, But he didn't have much with the uh, You know, he moved out. He was one of the first uh, people, Kassidish people at least, when Yeshiva said there were Many and bigger uh, Amansi by that time already, but uh, from the Chesidish, he was like from the first people to move out to Mansi. And uh, uh, when the old Satmer Rebbe, Rebbe passed away, he didn't have any big connection with Satmer anymore. But you know, the kids went to Satmer Chayden and everything. But he was close with uh, with Rebbe Yoel. Uh, yeah, because he was wow. a Bukhari Yeshiva then, so you know, so it was yeah. But uh, then he got connected to the Vision of Rebbe in Mansi. Mm-hmm. So what happened was that actually while I was in school, we sort of switched over from Sat Merchayda to Vizhnitz, which You could do that? Like you could just switch over? In our circles, that's like, whoa, you know? Sat <laughs> 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 is like, Sat if you go to the Vichiris, right? If you go to Vogue right. in Israel, you're like the biggest uh, Shaigat. You're not allowed to do anything. <laughs> and in Vizhnitz, it's like, you know, the Rebbe said you have to go. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, although wow. Monty is a little bit more anti-Zionist than in Israel than the, his brother was. But uh, it still, it was a huge change for me. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I had, uh, yeah. So, I saw two very different views growing up and the different cultures, which was actually very interesting to me, you know, because it told me a lot about people, about environments and everything. But it wasn't interesting. And then in Vishnu, I continued in Yeshiva. In Vishnu to Yeshiva, in Gibbers. In and then Yeshiva Gedele, I went to uh, Fersche. I don't know if you know it. I know the Fersche area. Yeah. yeah, so there's a Fersche area, and he's like the Chidusha Rebbe in Fersche. Uh-huh. He had the Yeshiva for a little while, and when he opened it up, I went there to learn. So, till I got married. Beautiful, beautiful. So you got married, and now you live in Muncie still? So actually, I got married to Williamsburg. And I also worked at wherever the wife lives, that's where you go to live. So I went to live to Williamsburg. I lived there actually for wow. three years. And uh, we were living in a one-bedroom apartment in uh, Williamsburg, you know, in this Brooklyn. And right. we had to move into a second-bedroom apartment, to a two-bedroom, right. whatever. And uh, I know the mishpacha grew. And uh, what happened is we started looking over prices. And then, you know, <laughs> it was like uh, a two-bedroom, I think, was like $1,800, a nice size. Right. And I was like, for $1,800, I'm not going to pay rent. You know, we can maybe buy something, pay a little more, whatever. So we went around shopping in Kamaisa and Williamsburg. I didn't, it wasn't shy to buy anything for that price range. So we decided, me and my wife, that we're rather going to buy something. Uh, let's move to Muncie, where it's still affordable to buy. Right. So that's what we did, Baruch Hashem. 
we bought that was like in 2008 or 2009, I think. So, Fantastic. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. <laughs> there was hard times, but prices were great then. So we were right. able to get a great deal, Baruch Hashem, Amonsi. So now we live in Amonsi. Beautiful. So you're, so you're back home. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. So, so how did you get into this? Like, how did you get into, well, you know, first of all, you're always entrepreneurial. You're always into, it sounds to me like the clear advantage. It's really about getting, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs out there are not focused, they're more visionaries, they have great ideas, they're great marketers and storytellers, but getting the details done, and I, I know that's a problem with me, is I, I always needed a good COO next to me because, you know, it's always the, the devil's in the details and I hated the details. So is that like what you come to do? You come to fill in those details to do the, the, the work that makes a company flow and grow and do things properly? That is exactly what I do. That is exactly what I do. I deal with the details and I am sort of the polar opposite of an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like uh, totally different, you know, and the, the reason how I got introduced to entrepreneurship is that both my father and my mother are both extremely entrepreneurial spirited people. And mm -hmm. my father was always in business, you know, he tried this, he tried that. Uh, not always with success, you know, growing up. And at the same time, my mother was also trying because, you know, you need to feed the family. So they were like both sort of an entrepreneurial journeys mm -hmm. as I was growing up. So what happened was that to me growing up, I always looked at the entrepreneur as the other guy, the crazy guy, the stupid guy, you know, you don't get it, come on, you know, why are you jumping right, so right. much? Why, are you, come on, it's not real, it's not going to happen, you know, stop dreaming. And uh, that's really the way I grew up, and I, <laughs> it's sort of, and I always had a hard time understanding my people, my, my parents, although mm -hmm. I truthfully appreciated them for what they brought to the table and respected them. And unfortunately, my father passed away, but my mother's still alive and I still appreciate her and I understand. But it was sort of other people. What happened, the, the, breaking, the real breaking point was when my daughter, my oldest daughter was born. She has Down syndrome. And uh, when she was born, I was like convinced, you know, there's so many kids with Down syndrome that are not doing well. And everything, you know, probably the parents are just, I was an extremely judgmental person. Let's put it this way. So I was like, probably they're not doing the right thing. So that's why the kids are not growing up well. I'll do the right things and it's just going to do and everything. And as she started developing, you know, I had like this aha moment that Zisha, right. you know, you may be very smart and very perfect and very proper, but the world isn't exactly the way you see it. And that's what was like the 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 second that I have that an entrepreneur, if he doesn't deal with the details, it's not that he is stupid, that he has a dream and he doesn't want to deal with the details. That's when I started understanding that some people are good at certain things. I like sort of judged on up to until then the entire world outside of my glasses. And whatever I wow. saw, I saw everyone. And if you're not doing it, then obviously you're just uh, lazy. You're just, you know, good for nothing. <laughs> right. Wow. But that's when it really opened my mind that, no, people are different. You did chuva. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really when, yeah, when I start, stopped judging the world and started listening to it and see everyone, their malas, and see everyone how... And, and started really appreciating the, the the scent, you know, the taste that comes together from everyone's good things as long as everyone works together properly. So it's amazing. I mean, you know, uh, we spoke a little bit about, uh, before. Yeah, you know, I also have a special needs child. And, 
you know, when you're a parent of a special needs child, you learn and you grow so much from having these children. So your, your daughter really, she opened up your eyes to, you know, the, that just because things are not a certain way, it doesn't mean that they're bad or wrong. It doesn't mean that it's bad. And other people, you know, I was like sure that she's going to be walking on time because we're going to do therapy. And then I saw, hey, she's not walking. You know, we're doing everything right. So it's like sort of opened my mind that it's not that what I can do, I should expect from everyone. And that if people do other things that I don't do, then they're wasting their time. You know, it shows the opposite. Every person has their uniqueness and extreme uniqueness. And the reason why they don't do the things that I do is because they're doing something else that I can't do. And I should appreciate that. And I shouldn't sort of bring them down for the part that they're not doing that I do well. Interesting. Very interesting. So, okay. So basically, you're an entrepreneur's best friend. Correct. That's I, when I turned <laughs> into it. <laughs> That's when you turned it. But I, I have a secret to tell you. You are an entrepreneur because, you know, the clear advantage just is your business. This is what you're going out and doing. You could have gotten a job working for any company or working for you know any business full-time, but you decided to go the route of having your own business and helping other businesses. So what led you to that decision? What made you say, hey, you know, I want to, instead of getting a full-time job or whatever, working for one specific company and becoming, you know, a part of the executive team there, what made you say, hey, I want to go into on my own and help these businesses, you know, in sort of a part-time fashion or you know, I don't, I don't know what the average time you, you spend with the client. I don't know if it's a month or six-month project, but, you know, why did you decide to go this route? The real reason is that what if Hashem, I started out working, uh, actually went to Copa, this Israel has a month in uh, whatever, <laughs> then it was in Manhattan. They have here in New York a program to for Ingalat, you know, Yeshivalat, whatever, who start out in, uh, you know, they have to start bringing Panus into bread on the table that right. they can start. They used to have programming. They have accounting. I'm not sure. Who's this? Uh, Giddes Yisrael. Oh, Giddes Yisrael. Okay. So, so yeah, they, they do fantastic work, especially the last few years. They've been coming out with more and more programming to help people with Parnassah and stuff. Fantastic stuff. Yes, exactly. So I went to them for a junior accounting, they called it, and I was actually planning maybe to go further in accounting, uh, to become an accountant. And what happened was actually that my daughter was born right when I finished the course over there, and we were shocked that she has Down syndrome. So I decided it changed everything in my life, of course, and I had to take sort of a break. You know, I didn't know how things are going to settle, how things are going to work out. So I decided, let me go take a job first. Let me see what the world is like. And then mm -hmm. I'll decide if I really want to be an accountant. You know, maybe I want to be a... Uh I don't know, you know, you name it. Um, I don't know. But let me go work so, in an office. Right. And Cope actually got me this uh, amazing opportunity by a big company, mm -hmm. a bigger company at least, you know, not GM, <laughs> but uh, right. a, a nice-sized company. And okay. I love the opportunity because for me it was like I'll have so many opportunities to see so many different positions, you know, I'll be able to choose between them and uh, learn more about the world and everything and business and everything. So I decided so that be, I'm going to... Just to be clear, so before you... Before you this point in your life, so you, you you never had a business. You weren't like, you know, doing businesses when you were younger or this is something like you came out of the yeshivish world, the chassidish, I, I guess, world. And then you said, hey, now it's time to make parnasa. And so you went and you took this course from Gdis Yisrael and then that led to trying to find uh, where you are now. 
Correct, yes. But I, I do remember once as a young child, my father was uh, for some, you know, an entrepreneurial spirited person. So mm-hmm. one of the things that he was doing, he had sort of, I don't know how it's called, uh, what type of store, sort of like amazing savings. Right. So he had a lot of stuff laying around at home that, you know, that he, I don't know why he didn't tell, you know, I was too young to understand that part. But I remember he had Parker pens and some other stuff. So I remember that I set up a table in front of my house and I put up sales signs. They're like, oh, there you go. to people driving by. See that? <laughs> you are an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's interesting because I guess I'm so, I don't know. You know, I, I guess I got something from my parents, you know, I'm not, uh, right. but I look at it as an entrepreneur, someone who just loves risk and someone who is just going to continue doing it. When I thought while I was going into the clear advantage before I thought of maybe buying my own business mm-hmm. and I decided that opening my own business, like a real business, you know, this is a service, but doing the helping other people where I would be the entrepreneur, where I would have to be that person who takes mm-hmm. the risk. I thought of myself as I'll get burned out and even buying a business I thought that you know I'll do it but I won't have what it takes to grow the business beyond where I bought it Mm -hmm. so that's where I decided to me working with entrepreneur is like sort of because I'm not an entrepreneur that's why I know that if I work with entrepreneur we both can do amazing things Right. It's basically, it's a partnership. You're helping him uh, reach his goals and uh, reach his dreams. And, you know, you sit quietly behind the uh, behind the mask, I guess, doing the details, making sure things are, are going smooth and things are flowing. Correct. And the the real breaking point is, uh, I started working in the company. I was supposed to be work there for a year. Ended up working for seven. And I grew through the levels until Mamish the top, you know, to get a promotion from where I was. Basically, someone had to get fired or Hasbe Shulam die. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> this. And I wasn't, I didn't really have the ability to like, you know, within, I couldn't see myself grow any further within the next five, let's say 10 years. Mm-hmm. And what happened was that my father unfortunately passed away at the time. Mm. So what it did to me, it like really shook me up in two ways. Number one, that if someone does not have a death from a relative, you know, a young person, my father was only 59 when he passed away, then it's hard to understand what it is like when you're dead. <laughs> right. So it like gave me a great understanding what a person looks like when they're dead and how they can't do anything anymore. And it's like the end of the game. If you want to do something, you have the chance until then. From there on, there's nothing you can do. You know, the more we're speaking, the more you sound like a, you, you keep saying you're not, you're not an entrepreneur, but these are entrepreneurial motives. This is what motivates somebody. It says they only have one life. I'm not going to sit around working for someone else. I'm going to do something that I love. I'm not going to sit, uh, you know, in some uh, nine to five job where there's no room for growth. You want to, you want to take over the world. You're an entrepreneur. <laughs> I, I guess, but I'm, I'm, you know what? You're starting to convince me, but <laughs> but I feel like I'm an entrepreneur in in uh, you know in in my Isn't mind, but not in yeah, but not in spirit, you know. <laughs> right. And then, so yeah, being that he was young too, it also like shook me up that uh, Zisha, if you want to do something, you better do it now. You don't know how long you're gonna live, and you don't know when you're gonna have the chance. So I decided against waiting twenty years because at the place that I worked, although I did amazing things, Baruch Hashem, and uh, but ended up being that I was mostly a politician over there rather than doing important things. Basically, you know, in a big company, a you have the different groups, a lot of politics. 
So I was basically there pushing through things, not because I really did what I love to do, strategize and everything, because I already did that. And like 90% of my job was making sure that it goes through by, you know, working, working the, the, the things that need to happen in order that things should get carried through. And I was sort of tired, you know, because I, my plan was not to become a politician. I just still don't plan on that. <laughs> I was like, what am, why am I wasting my time? You know, if I would have done, been able to do 10 times as many amazing things, then I would love to do it. But if I can only right. do 10% because I need to waste my other nine, 90% doing those things, then I'm not interested. So that's when I decided... Growing up, I saw a lot how my father, that it was also like an emotional thing for me, how he, uh, the hard times that he went through because he only had the entrepreneurial side to himself and he didn't like the details. And he grew up in a very different environment. I don't know how it was, you know, how it's in the Yeshivish world, but in the Yeshivish world, especially the generation after the Holocaust, it was like saying that you have help from another person or you need help from another person in order to succeed or to, to be Muslim extremely well was like the worst thing. Then you're not worth anything. Huh. So my father used to ask me sometimes, uh, he used to discuss with me some business matters. Later years, he was very Muslim. And I always felt like, you know, I'm still young. You, you sure you want to rely on my opinion? You know, and I always, <laughs> I always shied away from it. When he passed away, I sort of felt very guilty for it because, you know, at that point, I guess I've already grown and I already saw what I really bring to the table. And I was like, you know, why didn't I help him? Why, you know, it was a nevis in the wrong place, you know? <laughs> right, right. So I decided that I'll do exactly that. You know, why should other people suffer? And it's also something, you know, whatever. I'm a little bit into emotions, you know, <laughs> whatever. There's an organization, they help Bukhrim, whatever, and they always... I try to help What's the name them. Of the organization? It's like a help for Bukhram. Mm -hmm. It's meant for Bukhram that are struggling and they're helping them with uh, whatever they need therapy, better yeshivas, and everything. And of course, everything costs money. Right. So they're always, uh, whatever. I try to help them. I give them every month a certain set amount and I'm trying to help them as much as possible. But it also got me thinking in a certain way. I analyze everything that I come across. <laughs> so it got me thinking about. Yiddishkeit, about money, about everything. So what, what, what the picture that I got is that in order, you know, uh, in America, we get a lot of assistance, sort of. We try to get assistance from the government for the Chadurim, but once they we get money from them, they sort of dictate what we want to do. Uh -huh. For now, it's still okay, but you never know what is going to happen, especially in Canada and in other places with, all, with the world going so crazy. And uh, liberal becoming something that if you don't agree with me, then you're wrong instead of, you know, let everyone believe what they want. Right. It's, right. Uh, Which is why a Republican has to win the elections. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it is a fear that sort of I have. Maybe I'm over, you know, over scared, but that yeah. we need to be self-reliant in order to to be continue, especially, you know, he has, I, I saw the organization, they have such a hard time raising money for the book. And I mean, you know, if money would have been very common amongst us, then uh, they wouldn't have so many problems. We wouldn't have so many problems and so many families that are having they're having problems because they have someone in the family making sort of trouble, right. would be able to get settled only with a few dollars. Hmm. So that's sort of that me this push that if I can go help those who have the ability to make the big money, it's just that they have something that I can give them that's going to allow them to make the big money, then I can solve so many problems at once.
Plus, you're doing what you love to do. Yeah, plus I'm doing what I love to do. Exactly, exactly. So that's really how I got to this. It's sort of put together entire puzzle that if this is what I can do, then I'll be, you know, Hashem, successful in all ways. Gashmis dig, Rachnis, you know. It's like I feel always at work that I do Rachnis and Gashmis as well. Right. Beautiful. So, so how often, do you, how much time do you usually spend with the uh, client? Is it a month thing, or are there clients that, you, that you'll spend, uh, you know, six months with? I usually, I usually try to to be involved in the business very little. But I did not have a client yet that just let go of me. You know, finish. Mm-hmm. That's, good. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when yes, as just that as time moves on, I always have more and more people on the back burner. You know, so I hope it's not going to get clogged one day. Right. But uh, yeah, but Baruch Hashem, we do Baruch Hashem when we saw amazing atzlocha, and uh, even when the business is taking off, up sort of a life on their own, and things are working, they still like me to be involved and call me here and there, just because we always have our days. So they always want to stay connected. Do you ever take uh, equity in a company or is it always just uh, cash? I actually actually have three instances where I took equity in the company. Mm -hmm. One is a technology company. And by the way, I love technology. (laughs) So that is where they got me. You know, they were like, we can't pay you any money, but if you want to work for equity, I love the project. And it was the third option that I offer, like a a side project for a big company. Mm -hmm. So they gave me some equity in the company. And uh, we actually, uh, I committed myself to work for them for three, up to three years to make sure that the project is completed. And the book is going very well. And the other one is with a, I don't want to say the name of the company, but uh, it's with a single owner that is in the packaging line. Mm-hmm. And that person is has extreme, uh, he has like 10 to 15 years experience in the line. And he started growing the business, but it was going very slowly because he was afraid of doing, let's say, missteps. Okay. He was overly careful, not not a risk taker. Exactly, exactly, yes. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I help him basically because I have the two sides to myself, like you said. Now, I, I can see it sort of. I have the entrepreneurial side and I have the careful side. So I can sort of, with him, I can be there to like push him one day. Okay, so what's going to be next? You know, let's grow it. You know, you want to have, you have this big goal. Well, how are we going to get there? But from the other right. side, he knows that I'm not just going to give him motivation without being careful about not letting him do. I'm also keeping him back from doing some things. If, you know, I'm sort of a devil's advocate. If he can sort of convince me that he needs to do it and that it's a good idea, he won't do it. Uh, but it gives him sort of a peace of mind that he can manage so that if we discuss something and he does it, that at least it's something that makes sense, that it's, it's a shtadlis that should be Excellent. And Hashem, last month, happens to be, he made like a huge amount, right? and tens, tens uh, of profit. You know, it's not like I can't take any credit for it because right. we're, I'm only a partner in the journey. I don't have any expertise and anything, but somehow he was able to do amazing things simply because I was there, you know? So, fantastic. It's amazing. That's great. That's great. All right. So, first, I saw, I saw you were, you had an article about you in uh, Inc. magazine. Correct. Yes. How'd that come about? How's a Hasidic guy from uh, Muncie get into uh, Inc.? That came about because I wrote an article. Mm-hmm. And I sent it to Rabbi Soma Ginsberg. I don't know if you know him. Sure, of course. Yeah, okay. So I sent it to him and he was like, wow, this is amazing, you know? Let me show it to my friends. <laughs> 
Ismar is a great guy, great entrepreneur. That's true. If you guys, I say, if you think about a Hasidic guy that got an article in uh, Inc., you would think uh, Ismar yeah. would be the first guy that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, so they showed it to him, and the guy really liked it. But he was like, you know, I'm not gonna write the, I'm not gonna put in the article. But let me get an interview with you. <laughs> Fantastic. No, that's great. It's beautiful, amazing. Okay, so let, let's get let's get to what we call our lightning round, where uh, you know we'll get some uh, quick questions. And um, let's see where it goes. So what is the best advice you've ever received? The best advice? I, I got so many and so much advice. It's <laughs> hard for me to choose, you know, in every situation there's another that's right. Uh, for some reason, you know, I guess because I haven't tracked this today, <laughs> there's yeah. uh, an ashray. There's, there's a couple of words that speaks tremendously to me, and I always feel like, that's like the best word of advice that I see every day. And it's from Shleima Melech directly. From David, sorry. Yeah. And so, You know, that's, that Hashem is close to everyone. If you close, call him with an Amos Dikait. So what it, what it tells to me every day is that uh, whatever you want to do, you can just do. But just, uh, you know, just speak to Hashem with an open heart. You know, he'll, he'll be there to help you. Just uh, mean it and... and uh, you'll succeed. That's beautiful. So your best advice comes from David Amel. I love that. That's great. That's beautiful. And so true. So true. All right, what book would you me- recommend to our listeners and why? I assume that every listener on the podcast is an entrepreneur or someone, you know. <laughs> well, most of them are. My mother also listens. So. <laughs> so the, <laughs> Hi, mom. Yeah. <laughs> the best book that I have read that spoke to me in my journey, although I'm not a true entrepreneur, you know, I'm in the yes, mishpuch. you are. Yes, you are. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I'm in, I'm in the <laughs> Mishpuch, at least. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a book by Ben Horowitz. I don't know. I think he's the guy who started Netscape. Oh, from Anderson Horowitz. Yeah, from... Yes, 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 exactly. From the Netscape, he started the first browser, and then Microsoft came out with their free Internet Explorer, which turned right. his company entirely upside down. So it's a sort of every entrepreneur... Somewhere in his journey, he probably encountered something like this. So he wrote a book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And it's basically building a business when there are no easy answers. And it was a huge physic to me because when I started out, you know, I was looking for answers. So everything is one plus one equals two. And I was lost. You know, there's no one who can tell me one plus one equals two. So I loved the book because it told me that don't worry. You know, one plus question mark always is also going to equal two because there is no one. So when it told me, so, yeah, it gave me sort of the physics that, you know, we can only do a shoutless. <laughs> we can only do whatever. If it doesn't work, just go to the next. Uh, the sooner you'll start the next cycle, the next try, the sooner right. you'll succeed because there is no clear answer. And, Beautiful. Okay, so we're going to link to the book in our show notes so uh, our listeners can uh, check out at our website. You know, every episode is uh, we have show notes and uh, other links they could check out. So just go to the uh, fromentrepreneur.com or actually fromentrepreneur.com. And you'll uh, you'll see the book. Okay, what is one of your favorite online tools or resources, and what do you love about it? Uh, online by now, you know, with the cloud and everything, there are some things that I can't even imagine living without. But I don't necessarily appreciate them, <laughs> maybe because I'm too used to them. But yeah. one thing that I started using recently, and I'm just like... Okay, so I use emails as my to-do list. Basically, every email that comes in, I don't have any unread and... If I, you don't have any unread emails? No, and actually, let me check my inbox right now. <laughs> and I didn't really work much this morning because I was trying to set up the my headset. So right. from last night until now, I have 22 emails. 
And that's basically Wow, that's it. Yeah, that's it. I'm gonna send you an email right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so my my email list is basically my to do list. If it needs to be there, it's there. And I do use a scheduling, meaning there are emails that are gonna come back to me next week, Monday, because I'll have to take care of it next week. So that's not in here right now. But the thing that I really had a big problem with is with calls because calls come in and I forget to call back people. I'm in a meeting. I start with one person, then I forget the next. And it was a huge pressure on me to remember to call back people. So I signed up to Umail. It's a subscription. Umail. Yeah, it's a subscription based. Uh, now that actually, if you told me about the notes, I think maybe I'll send you. I'll see. Maybe I'll be able to send you some unique code, which they like give you sixty days free. I don't know. You know the the oh okay great ref- referral. You know whatever. Right. So something like that. So maybe your listeners will be able to get some freebie over there. A little excellent. So I don't know how much it's a month. <laughs> five dollars, right. something, something around there, five or six dollars a month. And basically, what happens is that it moves your voicemails to the cloud. And what it means is that I get an email every time I have a missed call and a voicemail uh, email with a voicemail attached every time someone leaves me a voicemail. So what that does to me is it puts my calls, missed calls into my to-do list, which is an... Oh, fantastic. So that was really that's... something that, yeah, that changed everything for me when I went into this line. That's a, that's a, <laughs> that's great. I mean, that, that's exactly the type of stuff that we're looking for in this uh, podcast. Like these little hints and tools that uh, just make a huge difference in your, in your work, in, in, in your uh, entrepreneurial journey. Okay. What was one thing you've purchased recently for less than $100 that's had the greatest impact on your life? <laughs> People love this question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> something that's going to come to my mind is something weird. And it can't be, it can't be like a pot of cholent or anything like that, you know. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know what the one thing that that it's extremely probably most is going to be very weird to some people so i'm really sort of embarrassed about it not embarrassed but i'm sort of it's not and it actually is beyond the limit is below the limit by a penny because it was 99.99 yeah so it is something called mindwave mobile MindWave Mobile? MindWave Mobile. So basically, I read about it and I had a conversation with someone about the way the brain works. And I was telling the person, you know, I don't know if you heard about inert health, but I've been seeing uh, Tversky. I don't know if he's a son of Rev Avram or a brother. Yeah. He basically basically has like a program of uh, bringing sort of calm to people, something like that. Mm -hmm. So they have a concept that's called being in thought. That's basically when you need to make a decision and you're thinking about everything and you're thinking so much that you can't even make a decision. Mm-hmm. So I told that person that there actually now there's tools that can tell you where, what type of speed your brain is running at. And oh, wow. Where a person was like, no, it's impossible. So I just had to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually like it a lot because at times when I'm nervous, you know, yeah. I, I think that I'm thinking that I'm productive. But uh, sometimes I get a little suspicious that, you know, I'm just thinking in the Voltaran and not doing anything while right. thinking. So when I put this on, sort of, it like it has a graph. It shows you how much focused you are and everything. And it's, uh, most of the times it confirms that I'm just uh, super hyped up and uh, anxious rather than doing something. So it at least tells me, you know, to take a little break and just uh, continue work and start working rather than, uh, you know, we say moving it, working hard, mm-hmm. doing anything. Wow. That's great. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, that, that, would lead, that actually leads us uh, to our next question, which is what is something you believe in that others think is insane? 
<laughs> the truth of this question is that probably yeah. probably everything. <laughs> I don't think there's anything that I believe that the whole world shares the same belief as me. There's definitely everything that other people, at least some people, think that it's crazy. Right. But the one thing that I see now that comes to my mind is when people are so into politics. Mm. And people are so, this person, that person. And I believe that although it depends which party wins, yeah. it does not matter who in that party wins. I don't think I... that people have the freedom, whoever, in my opinion, whoever runs for office, at least that high up in office, is there because they want to be very powerful. Right. In order to become powerful, they're going to say and do whatever is going to give them the power of the people, which is their people. Sure. So no matter who, let's say the Republican, no matter who wins the Republican nominee, if they become president, they can yeah. do whatever Republican voters want from them. So it might be a little 10% well, off, you... 10% up, but they're going to do the same things, sort of. Interesting. I mean, you think that the appeal of that Donald Trump will listen to the people? If he becomes the uh, nominee, becomes the president? In my opinion, he will. I think so, at least. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I think he's interested in becoming more powerful. But once he's going to be in a position of power, he's going to want to keep it. And you can't keep it without pleasing people. Interesting. You know, I thought you were going to say something else. I thought you were going to say that really it doesn't matter who becomes president or whatever, because really Hashem is totally controlling everything anyway. And, you know, he's not going to, you know, <laughs> America plays such a pivotal role in world history, especially where we are today and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, coming close to the to, to Mashiach's coming, that it's not going to be, you know, it's, it's, he's not going to, Hashem is not going to leave into the hands of man who's going to become the, uh, you know, the president of the United States. But Exactly, yeah, but I'm, I'm a big believer of Ishtadlis, you know, and although Baruch Hashem Obama did not succeed with what he planned, what I think at least he planned for Israel, for the state of Israel, uh, yeah. he was able to do a lot of, a lot of Ishtadlis and trouble to them. Right. So, but again, I don't think he could have done anything if Hashem didn't want it to happen. Exactly, exactly. But you know, it, it brought a lot of people to tshuva. You know, uh, yeah, that's very a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it's very no. It, it's true. It's true, and you know, and it's it's a thing that I don't understand. You know, I never spoke to Hashem, meaning in a way that he answered me when directly when I asked them a specific question. Why did you do this? So <laughs> I don't. So I don't know. You know, but uh, to me, you know. There is this part of Hishtadlis, and, you know, if someone tries to make trouble, you know, if you're a real bell betuchen, you're probably calm about it. But I guess right. not in that madraiga that if you see that Obama doesn't want to give arms, whatever, money for security, for it's a soul, that I should be like, huh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's not going to work. So to me, it does the reason. Well, it, is, it should influence us to daven more, to daven harder. Yeah, I guess. that's the right thing to do, yes. I think there's going to be a lot of people davening harder if Trump becomes president. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, or, or uh, Clinton, for that matter. Okay, let me uh, last question, and then uh, because it's been fantastic so far, and uh, you know, I really appreciate your time that you've given given to this uh, to this program. But for the last question, when you hear the word successful, who do you think of first, and why? Okay, do I need to be a, an unav in this question? Well, it can't be you. It can't be me. <laughs> I see. I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. When uh, I once heard that you can't know where a person is up to, the only time you know where a person is up to financially is when they file for bankruptcy. <laughs> 
So the same thing is with success. I don't think that when I walk on the street that I can tell who is successful and who isn't because even if a person is smiling, it doesn't mean that he's really smiling. Interesting. You know, I had a person complain to me last week that he's like, whatever, poor me was away with his family and where he lives, he doesn't fit in anywhere. So I told him sort of that, let Purim be your lesson that everyone is verstelt, you know? <laughs> if you don't fit in, just to fit in. Make sure that you fit in. Right. So to me, Really, when to me, successful is a person that had uh, something that he wanted to do and he accomplished it. If someone feels like his place is to be a dine and he became a dine, then uh, yeah. But if someone becomes a dine because his wife wants him to become a dine or his shiver or his father, then I wouldn't call him successful, even if he is the biggest boy Sikadar. So that's very interesting. Very interesting. So, you know, in the Gemurah, yeah, we find the Khmer Shleim Melech was, in all sense, in my opinion, at least successful after learning Kehelis. Right. But, you know, um, he he understood Khmer, everything that he said that he wrote there was is like, so, if he would have written it today, he would have written every word again, you know? <laughs> it's like everything is so true in there. So, I assume that he understood the, well, the word so well, Khmer, there were no better times for Eden. As like when Shlema lived, I would right. say that he was really successful. Rebbe, right? Yeah. So, and from there on, you know, I'm sure there are many. Actually, I do have a friend that is very not popular, very not known. Very few people know him, but I know that he's extremely successful, and he does not drive a fancy car. But he has his life. Hashem, he has a beautiful family, and he has his life the perfect way he wanted it to have it. So, to me, that's the biggest way of success. That's and that, and that's worth uh, really thinking about because you know people think that hey you know I guess what people define as success is not really what success is and I, I like how you define it you're saying somebody that does what he wants to do and is able to do what he wants to do and is successful at it that's real success because just because in the guy who makes a lot of money and is success as a successful business but he's miserable and it's not what he wants to be doing that's not real success exactly and the credit for that actually comes from my wife <laughs> because. I was actually, when I was looking at success in the beginning, when I started out, I was very materialistic about it, you know? And uh, she pointed to me over and over again that whenever I bought something because I wanted to be successful, you know, I wanted to have it, that it didn't move the success needle even by a drop. You're not supposed to say that online. There's a lot of wives listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not, now my wife can't listen to this episode. <laughs> what the new the new laptop is not integral to my being successful? I don't understand. Yeah, it has. You don't see the apple in the back. You know, it's like lights up. You don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know how powerful it is to my inspirational thinking in terms of being an entrepreneur. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, maybe you should make two versions of it. One cut out this line so people can right. listen to So, yeah, but basically that's it. And it was a huge eye-opener for me that I learned over and over again, seeing it in action, how a new thing kept me exciting for two, three days, but then it wasn't worth anything. That taught me <laughs> that it's... Uh, being successful as a Rachni is that It's not a Gashmi as Digazach, and having a lot of Gashmias can make you seem, and acting can make you seem successful to other people, but uh, to me it matters if I'm successful, not if other people think I'm successful. Beautiful, beautiful. And that's a great way to end this episode. That was absolutely fantastic. So, again, Zisha, thank you so much for joining us on this show. Thank you so much for coming on board. It was so great to hear your story and to, to learn about what you do and, and, and uh, everything you shared with us. So, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me and thank you for everything you're doing.
Thank you, Zisha. Thank you for listening to the From Entrepreneur Podcast with Nahum Kligman. We hope you learned something valuable and will share this with your friends. For show notes, archives of previous episodes, and more information to help you start and grow your business, please visit our website, www.fromentrepreneur.com. Listen, learn, be Masliach.